Good afternoon, everyone. I'm just really confident we can do better than that. So I'm gonna give you another try. Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> wow, we, we could do this about two or three more times and almost everybody would be smiling. I just have a couple of quick um, announcements before we start. One, you might notice that Hanny isn't in his usual place. Uh, Hanny and Silva are away at a family function today. So they're okay, they're just at a family function. The other thing is <clears throat> we've announced it a couple times, but just because it's a change, the regular prayer ministry after the church is not after church is not happening for the month of August we're giving everyone a day off or a month off but if you want prayer you can text Hanny or you can text me or you can text your cell group leader and we will pray with you or if you want a team to pray with you we can set up a, a ministry team to pray with you so we don't have the official one right after the service but you can text either one of us or call either one of us or your cell group leader, and you can get the kind of prayer that you would like to have, and we will spend time encouraging you in prayer. Sound good? Okay. Holy Spirit, we love you, and we love your presence, that you're with us and taking care of us and watching over us and encouraging us and comforting us. And also, Holy Spirit, you lead us into truth. And I ask God that you would open up our eyes to something I'm sure most of us have heard. But maybe we'd hear it a little differently, or maybe you'd find a new way to apply it to us. Thank you for helping us today as we get into your word and read what, what you have to say to us from the Bible. Thanks for helping us, Holy Spirit. Amen. There, I found Sholay. So I want to not talk too fast and leave her behind. Things are finally opening up in our culture a little bit around us. Yay. Mary and I got to go have breakfast with our breakfast group on the patio for the first time in well over a year. All four of us were able to be together. And so things are starting to open up. And I was asking God about what to do today. And I actually have another thing I thought I was going to share, but I felt like God wanted me to talk about this a little bit. So I'm going to share about one of the biggest areas and risk of fear or fear for many Christians. This is something I've talked about before, but I think maybe with things opening up, people having gone through well over a year of, of um, a really different lifestyle, being isolated a lot more than we had been. I felt like God wanted me to talk a little bit about evangelism. I know that's an exciting word for most people. Okay, there's, there's two or three of us that get really excited about it. But most of us, that's not a comfortable word at all. What I hope to do today is to share with you how the Bible looks at the way evangelism works. Now, almost all of us, if we grew up in church, almost all of us are uncomfortable with the evangelism models that we have seen or we've been taught. I think I might have shared this story here. I know Axe has probably heard it at one time or another, so I apologize if this sounds familiar to you. But when I was a teenager going to youth group at our church, one of the nights they said, okay, tonight you're going to go out and evangelize. And of course, that made my heart completely drop and go, oh, God, how can I get out of here? Maybe you'll come back before this thing starts and I won't have to do it. 
because I didn't want to do it. Mine wasn't a passive, I don't want to do it. Mine was an active, I don't want to do it. So in the way that evangelism was traditionally done, they gave us about 20 tracts, little pamphlets that said, here's how you meet Jesus through something called four spiritual laws. I didn't like the four spiritual laws, even though I know their correct theology, I didn't like them because it was pretty negative. The first spiritual law says you are a sinner. That's just not good news to me. So here I am holding this tract that I don't want to do. They say, okay, you go out and you don't come back until you give out your 20 tracts. Well, being the obedient Christian young man that I was coming to our cell group, or I mean our Wednesday night meeting, I went out, walked down the street. I went to the Tasty Freeze place, went in and got an ice cream and a Coke, waited about 20 minutes, threw all my tracks in the trash along with my empty cup and walked back and lied to them and said, yeah, I gave them all away. Well, I did kind of sort of give them all away. I gave them to the trash can. Most of us are uncomfortable. Yes, I repented from it, just so you know. I did. Because I felt bad because I lied to them because they were very sincere, my leaders and all that. But anyway, most of us are uncomfortable with the models we've been given, the models we've seen, and the models we've been taught. But more importantly, in 2020, those models do not work well in North American culture. 40 or 50 years ago, or longer, however long ago it was, when I did that, the culture of the United States and North America was still, people knew about Christianity, they knew about God, they grew up being connected with church. In 2021, that's not the case. Many people have never been in church, they don't know about what the Bible says, they are completely unaware of anything about who Jesus is other than he was some guy who did a lot of things a long time ago. In our culture, the traditional models really don't work very well. I found a survey about two weeks ago, looking through notes. I take notes, you know, of little things that interest me when I'm listening to sermons or podcasts or reading something, uh, articles or whatever. And I apologize. I didn't get the um, citation of where it came from. Uh, it's, I just wrote this thing down real quick. But they took a survey of, of 20,000 people who'd been in church as Christians for at least 10 years. And the question they asked was, how many people have you led to Jesus in your life as a Christian? The answer, oh, and, and, and they said, excluding your family. I accepted Jesus because my family was Christian. They taught me about it. It seemed like a good idea and all that sort of stuff. So excluding your family, how many people have you led to Jesus? The answer, the average answer of Christians in North America, or at least in the United States, was less than two people in a lifetime. Then they asked the question, how many people have you led to Jesus outside of your family and outside of the church building? And the answer was below 1% of people, Christians in the United States, a Christian nation, less than 1% of all Christians in this poll led even one person to Jesus outside the church building and outside their family. Now, the last thing Jesus said to us was, go into all the world, tell them all about the good news of Jesus. This has to be one of the most frequently ignored commands Jesus gave anybody, was to go tell other people about Jesus. Now, why is that? I suggest a lot of it is we haven't had models that we're comfortable doing. I mean, who wants to go up to somebody and tell them, hey, the good news of Jesus is you're going to hell. 
I mean, that's just not good news. Yes? What if we made a choice <clears throat> to do it a different way? What if we made a choice to do it the way the Bible modeled it for us? The way people were led into a relationship with Jesus in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. It's pretty different. And it's really different for people who were Gentiles at that time, not Jewish people. The Jewish people all knew about God. And so they, God tended to or talk to them on the the priests tended to talk to them differently. But to the Gentile people, there was a very different approach to evangelism. Now, I want to make clear, I'm not against preaching. <laughs> That's part of my job. I'm not against teaching. That's the thing I love doing. I'm not against discipling people. Those are necessary and a significant part of a church community that's growing in power and impact and relationship with God and each other. But the focus today is how do we initially present the good news of Jesus and what kind of responses might we get if we used a biblical model of evangelism? So we're going to read about um, multiple examples of how people were initially impacted by Christians, people who followed Jesus in a way that resulted in people actually getting saved. I encourage you, you might want to write down the passages I'm going to give, because basically all I'm doing for the next <clears throat> 20 or 25 minutes is we're going to read the Bible stories about how people came to know Jesus in the book of Acts. But you might want to read them later, so you might want to write down the references. But by all means, go and get your Bible now, because we're going to go read a bunch of Bible. I encourage you to meditate on the, these passages and talk to God about, hey, what do you want to say to me about telling other people about the good news of Jesus? I don't know how you read um, like the Gospels, the life of Jesus or Acts, the book of the, uh, the disciples after Jesus went back to heaven. But I like to picture what it looks like. So I want to encourage you, turn on your imaginations a little bit. And let's go today, we're going to read and maybe imagine experiences of Holy Spirit evangelism. Ready to go? Okay. Turn to the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be all day. Chapter 2, verses 40 and 41. Where did Shola go? She moved. There she is. Okay. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 and 41. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them. And this is Peter who's speaking here. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Now, that's a lot. How did this mass influx of people occur? They went to a very different than normal prayer meeting. Back up a few verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. They were at this prayer meeting. 
beginning at verse two. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, Peter gave a world-class anointed sermon in verses 14 to 40. But what was the thing that drew attention to the crowd? A radical Holy Spirit demonstration, including the sound of a violent wind, tongues of fire, speaking in other tongues, both known and unknown. What happened when this demonstration of Holy Spirit came? Thousands were saved. And it can happen in a lot of different contexts. Um, in the cell group we had during renewal in Southern California, we had several meetings happen where people were prophesying to someone else, and then they switched and spoke in a tongue they didn't know, a language they didn't know. <laughs> The first time it ever happened to me, I remember I was praying with another sister uh, for this, this young woman and, and, and a demon started to manifest. And so I told this other young lady, I said, okay, we're going to just do deliverance with her. And so just spoke to, to the demon to have to leave. And um, I could tell it was about ready to leave. And then this thing came out of my mouth and I thought I was just praying in tongues. Well, she looked at me and she said, do you know what you just said? And I go, no, do you? You know, I like who, who, I don't know what that's all about. She says, yeah, you just spoke in Korean. Look at it. There goes the demon now. Now, she had been with me, and she wasn't real sure about this whole deliverance thing. She knew it was true, but hadn't really seen it happen. But it was like Holy Spirit said through me, and I thought I was just speaking in tongues, said to her in her native language of Korean, look at it. There goes the demon now. Well, this young woman became a believer in the whole idea of, of deliverance could actually happen by regular people. And, and yes, this young lady accepted Jesus. The, the one who's getting delivered got accepted Jesus. When Holy Spirit comes, it impacts people in a way that just logical or rational discussion or even argument or trying to convince someone just in their mind, it takes it to a whole nother level. They all spoke in tongues. They heard the language being spoken in their own languages, and thousands became followers of Jesus. Well, that wasn't just an isolated occurrence. It happened more often. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, says this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Thousands more come into the kingdom. But what was the event that brought all these people together to witness it? Back up to Acts chapter 3. Verse 6. Peter and John are going to the temple. 
and they go by this man who could not walk, beginning at verse 6. Then Peter said to the man who could not walk, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he, Peter, helped the, the, the lame man get up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who, had, who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The people who came because of the opportunity for Peter to preach was this healing. When someone gets healed because of the Holy Spirit power, they're pretty open to the idea of who is this Jesus person who just healed me. Now, just as a reminder, why am I doing this with all, all these different stories? It's because this is the way the, the Bible seems to be teaching us how to do evangelism. These weren't isolated events. It's a lifestyle of the community where Holy Spirit risk and faith were usual activities. Let's look at another. Acts 8. Turn over to that. And we'll start reading at verse 4. Acts 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Did you understand and see what, got, what was said there? It wasn't just about having an intellectual or theological argument. He preached, proclaimed Jesus, but also there was Holy Spirit power, and people were healed. And when there's people that get healed, when you share with somebody or pray with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and they get healed, they pay attention to what else you've got to say. Verse 7, continuing, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and crippled were healed, and there was great joy in the city. So how did Philip impact the city? He went down and handed out gospel tracts and debated religious beliefs, right? <laughs> no. The people heard about Jesus, and they saw what the power of Holy Spirit could do. Then they paid close attention. Acts, continuing in Acts 8, verse 36 to 40. As they, that is Philip and the eunuch, traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now look at verse 37. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now, what didn't get said here? I'm not saying what isn't theologically true. But here's someone who doesn't know Jesus. What got said to him? Or maybe more importantly for the models we've learned, what didn't get said to him? There was nothing about being a sinner. There was nothing about being separated from God. He said, if you believe with your heart, you may. And he says, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he got to be baptized. Now, all the, all the theology of Romans is right. But we don't necessarily do that when we're just sharing Jesus. Let's get him healed and get him saved. Then we can talk about how God took care of their sin issues. Continuing in verse 38. So the eunuch gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. 
When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. He told about Jesus. He told his Jesus stories. He told about his Jesus encounters. What are your stories of your encounters with Jesus? But Holy Spirit's involved in more than that. How did Philip and this man even get connected and have the resulting evangelization of the nation of Ethiopia because of this one encounter? Acts 8, verse 26, tells us how this all came about. Acts 8, 26 says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now if you read back a little further, Philip was in the middle of a revival. There was all kinds of people getting saved. And the angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, Hey, don't worry about the revival, I'll take care of it. You go down on this desert road in the middle of nowhere, So Philip starts out. Is it possible you could be having a regular day just doing your things and God would say, hey, why don't you get in the car and drive for an hour and take a cup of coffee or a meal to someone, this particular someone? Just somebody you know, maybe. Could God do that because God knows the heart of the person you're going to? Wouldn't it be awesome if Holy Spirit took us to people who were ready to hear the gospel? Wouldn't that be amazing? So, verse 27, Philip sets out, leaves his revival, takes off for the desert road. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Just happened to meet one of the most influential people in the entire nation of Ethiopia. Just a coincidence, right? Not when Holy Spirit's doing evangelism, and we join Holy Spirit in that evangelism process. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Okay, tell me you couldn't have a little bit more success sharing Jesus with somebody if you run into them and they're sitting there reading the Bible. Come on, I'm not a good evangelist, but I could probably do something with that. But look what he's reading. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and says, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asks, because he was reading about the Messiah. Is it possible that God could lead you to someone? Maybe they got reminded by a story their grandma told them about Jesus. Maybe it was a prayer their mom or dad prayed over them when they were a little kid and they remembered it. Maybe they picked up a Bible because they were desperate for something and they said, God, where are you? And I want to find something. And they open up the Bible and they start reading about Jesus and then you show up. That's got to be an easier way to do evangelism than standing on the street corner telling people they're going to hell. A lot more fun. God can do it for you. God is not a respecter of persons. If he did it for Philip, he will do it for you. You Having fun yet? Let's do another one. Acts chapter 9. Verse 42 and 43. This became known all over Joppa 
Well, what became known? Well, we're going to look at it in just a minute. But look at the results of this thing that we're going to read. Many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. What was it that gave Peter the opportunity to lead so many people to Jesus? Do you think it was something else other than a religious debate? I do. Back up to verses 36 and 37. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which, when translated, is Dorcas, who always came, (coughs) I'm sorry, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Drop down to verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. And turning to the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. Now tell me you wouldn't have a captive audience, an engrossed attention-giving audience if you prayed and somebody who was dead woke up. Now we may not raise somebody from the dead, but you can do it for people who are sick. They just encounter God. God, come and visit them right now. Holy Spirit, speak to their heart. Bring healing to their heart. There's probably somebody here today listening to this who is saying, my heart hurts. In Jesus' name, I just bless you with the certainty that Holy Spirit presence is healing your heart. He wants to touch the places where people have said things to you that have caused pain to you that have caused a separation between you and you don't know if God's safe, that his Holy Spirit, that presence, something shifted in you. It just feels different. That's Holy Spirit saying, I want to heal your heart. Do you think we couldn't do that? And that if something changed in that person and they begin to tell other people, surely has got a whack of stories. Talk to her about them, where she shared with one person and they went and told somebody else. We can do this, and we don't have to tell somebody they're going to hell. We can partner with Holy Spirit, who wants these people to be saved way more than we ever did, to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. Are you noticing a trend in the book of Acts? How many of these events that link the dynamic, the supernatural impact of Holy Spirit with people getting saved? How many of those things do we need to see in order to be convinced that the most consistent biblical model is not debating with people? It's bringing the presence of God and giving them a God encounter. Let's do a couple more. Now, there are a few recorded examples of preaching without Holy Spirit power events in the gospel and the book of Acts. But when those are recorded, and there's not as many, but when they're recorded, the Bible shows the results were less impacting. For example, and we're not going to turn there to read, but Paul preached in Athens. And the Bible scholars all say this was the most well-constructed sermon recorded by Paul in the Bible. Do you know what the Bible said about the results of his preaching? A few people came to know Jesus. They all agreed it was well put together. They all agreed it was really a great presentation. Those that listened to Paul's sermon in Athens. But only a few people got saved. But when Holy Spirit comes, it changes. 
drop down to Acts chapter 10. Let's read another one just because this is pretty fun. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. One of these days before I go to heaven, I want to be in a place where I'm just saying, you know, speaking the words, and the Holy Spirit comes on everybody. I think that would be such an exciting thing to happen. Verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter went on and preached about who Jesus was. But what changed it from a crowd to a people who were interested was that the Holy Spirit came on people. So how did Peter get there to be a part of all this? Back up to verse 19. What I'm trying to show is that there are Holy Spirit activities in in virtually, I'll say virtually, I think it's all, but virtually all of the places where people got saved, there was Holy Spirit activity recorded. Verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, he just got this vision, didn't know what to do with it. The Holy Spirit came and said to Peter, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. What if God said, hey, you're going to encounter somebody today. Be ready because they're open. And it isn't just on you. Drop down to verse 30. Peter ends up at Cornelius's house. And Cornelius says to Peter in verse 30, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. Cornelius had a vision that somebody was going to come and bring them, bring him and his family good news. One of the awesome things about working with Holy Spirit is he wants this to work even more than you do, even more than I do. I want to share Jesus with people who accept Jesus. I get scared. I don't know what to say sometimes, but I know Holy Spirit wants it even more. Is it possible that when God says, hey, it's time to talk to your niece, or your co-worker, be open to them. The person you go and get your coffee from at the coffee stand every time. Is it possible that God could have been talking to them already, just like he did to Cornelius? Cornelius was ready for Peter to come. He was just waiting for the person who was going to show up. Holy Spirit dreams and visions set up this good news encounter between Peter and Cornelius and his family. Hmm. Acts 13, verse 12. Why am I doing so many? Because there's so many examples in here. This is the model. Now, we've used other models and and. We'll use whatever it takes, but this is the biblical model of how people get saved. Acts 13, 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed because he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. What did the government official who did not know anything about Jesus become a believer? The teaching. But how did Paul get this official's attention in order to do the teaching? Back up to verse 4. 13, verse 4. The two of them, 
sent on their way by Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, here he is again, giving direction. They went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now go to verse 8. But Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means. Wouldn't you love to have that name? My name means the sorcerer. Well, that's what this guy had. He opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also named Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of evil and deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. That'll get your attention. Led by the Holy Spirit, remember from verse 4, Paul and Barnabas arrived in Cyprus. They encountered a demonized sorcerer. That man was neutralized by the power of Holy Spirit working through Paul. The government official believed because he saw and experienced the Holy Spirit power, then heard Holy Spirit teaching. People are more open to Holy Spirit teaching when they've already experienced Holy Spirit power. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach to them. Paul and Silas tried to go share the gospel, but they were willing to receive a no from Holy Spirit. And then they got Holy Spirit direction in a dream, and off they went. Do you think God could tell you who's ready to hear in your sphere of relationships? Maybe the person who serves you coffee isn't ready to hear. But maybe the person who bags your groceries and checks you out at the grocery store is. So off they went. Drop down Acts chapter 16 to verse 29. Well, they went to Macedonia and they ended up getting tossed into jail, as seems to be something that Paul had happened to him a lot. Beginning at verse 29, there's been an earthquake. The jailer's really concerned about all his prisoners escaping. We begin at verse 29. The jailer caught call for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Why was he trembling? Because he'd just been through an earthquake. And in those days, if the jailer lost a prisoner, they had to pay the prisoner's penalty. They They would be put to death for losing prisoners. But because Paul had said, hey, nobody leave. This is a God thing. The jailer turns on the lights, runs in, and falls before Paul and Silas. Verse 30, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can you imagine if you were talking to someone and they had a God encounter to the degree that they came up to you and said, what do I need to do to be saved? That's the way I want to do more evangelism. I like that way. Verse 31, they said, Well, you're a sinner because the first spiritual law says everybody sin and come short of the glory of God. Did he say that? (laughs) No, he didn't say that. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke of the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. Verse 33, 
At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. The whole family got saved. But what got the jailer's attention in the first place? Back up to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas, who were in jail, in chains, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought, the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, I'm from California. I've been in earthquakes. I've been in some pretty big earthquakes. This is the most radical, weird earthquake ever. Nothing fell over. Nothing got wiped out. The only thing that happened was doors were opened and chains fell off. That is a weird, non-normal earthquake. That's not what earthquakes do. They pick up buildings and drop them in a pile. But this was a God earthquake. The jailer understood how remarkable this earthquake was, and even more remarkable that no prisoners left. Paul and Silas, in the middle of an earthquake, understood this was a unique God time, and they were ready for the encounter. Do you think that maybe God, even in a difficult circumstance, could give you and me opportunities to tell other people about the good news of Jesus? Do you think God could make a really weird, radical earthquake just for you? The Bible says God is not a respecter of persons. If you'll do it for one person, he'll do it for another. If you'll do it for Paul, he'll do it for you and me. There are more examples of Holy Spirit power events to tell the good news in the book of Acts. And if you look through the life of Jesus and the disciples in the Gospels, you're going to find over and over and over the presence of Holy Spirit as a part of sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with other people. We've got just a couple of minutes but here's my question. What needs to happen in you today? In this season of reopening in our society to start doing Holy Spirit evangelism. I want to ask each one of you, we're going to take two minutes right now. Talk with God about telling and showing other people about how much God loves them how much God wants to have a relationship with them. And what does he want to do with you? What, is he, what needs to change in your heart? What, what, do you, what skills do you need to learn or develop? What Holy Spirit spiritual gifts do you need to learn? Do you need to maybe develop your, the, your ability to hear God's voice more? We're going to take two minutes. Talk to God about your place and your involvement in Holy Spirit evangelism. Go.
Father God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of the process of telling other people the good news of who Jesus is. And thank you for giving each one of us opportunities to give God encounters to people who don't know you yet. I'm so grateful that you want to give people more than a teaching about a belief system. You want to give them an encounter and an experience with you. God, for me, telling people about your son Jesus involves taking a risk. And I don't like risks. But I choose again today not to get beat down in condemnation or beliefs about what I can't do. I choose again today to be captured by your overwhelming love, your love for me and your love for the people that you bring to me. Thank you again for reminding me that you want people to have a relationship with you way more than I do. Holy Spirit, I'm so glad that you even prepare people before I connect with them. You prepare them to hear what you want to say to them. Thank you, God, for a Holy Spirit that is ready and excited to give people who don't know you an encounter with you. And Father God, I choose again today to be a carrier of Holy Spirit to people in my sphere of relationships. And during this season of opening up our city and our nation, I agree to become a person who is opening up to be led by Holy Spirit to bring Holy Spirit presence and good news of Jesus to whoever in my realm of relationships that you want me to touch. And I commit again to partner with Holy Spirit to bring people an encounter with you. I love you, Papa. Sujin, let's worship this amazing God we've got one more time. <laughs> 